Hello and welcome to En Profundidad from Barcelona Metropolitan. I'm Isha Mohajan. Mental health, an issue long ignored and suppressed, creating pariahs out of people who suffer from it, is now opening its doors for conversation. But is the stigma around mental health allowing it to be addressed enough? We spoke to two mental well-being professionals in the city to learn some more about the stigma that still surrounds the issue and what can be done to remove it. On today's En Profundidad podcast, what can be done to open dialogue around mental health? Uh, hello, I'm Babette. I uh, I'm from the Netherlands and I moved to Spain uh, for an internship. And today we talk about mental health and I'm going to do my story about my journey. I used to never talk about my own mental health because I used to think it was something that would not interest other people or other people would find me crazy to think like that. So it all started when I was like really young. I was in primary school and I developed like... uh, eating problems and uh, after getting eating problems uh, you fall into a depression because one thing comes to another and uh, actually my parents didn't find out for like two years and I was scared because I thought oh my god I'm doing something that I can't do like I'm gonna get like grounded or something (laughs) so that was the, the moment where we like are gonna get help to get better And I wasn't getting any of that. I didn't want to get help. Because for some reason, getting help meant that other people knew that I wasn't right. But then after a little while, it was, well, it was getting better and better. And like the therapy was like going well. And for some reason, I just wanted to stop. So I told everyone, I'm okay. I'm fine. Just let me live my life again. And I actually wasn't okay. But, I mean, I guess when you're, like, having a mental health problem, you get to be a very good liar. Uh, You can't talk about it, so you feel very isolated about everything. And I actually didn't... I, I, I found help for the second time. And after getting help the second time, it really helped. Uh, and then I finished that therapy and I went to America to like start off a new life and people didn't know me there and I got to know myself like really really well well there and for some reason everything fell into place and since my travel to America I've been so much happier and I started to talk about stuff because I started to notice that Americans actually talked more about mental health than Europeans. So we started talking about it. And then I came home and I uh, got this feeling that I needed to start telling people. And first times I started talking about it was actually with my classmates in Budapest at my first year of uh, university. So we're sitting in a circle and we're like telling stuff about our lives that were hard. And I was like wondering if I should tell my story because it actually was very horrifying (laughs) in comparison to the other stories. 
And I just did it. And it was so crazy because I did my whole story. And like the whole room just started out like crying. And me too. And then we started talking about it some more. And some other people started to talk about some insecurities too. I don't know, the Budapest story also, like, that was the first time I actually told my whole story. And it was just amazing to see the people, like, being so, uh, so, uh, they didn't expect it at all, like, from me. And from now on, from that moment, I'm always talking about my story because it's actually been a while ago. I haven't been feeling that bad since like three years. And I'm actually very comfortable about talking right now. I used to like start crying when I talked about it because it's very emotional to say it out loud because for some reason it gets uh, real when you tell it out loud. Babette's story is one of many. We all know someone who has struggled at some point in their lives, but all too often these conversations get buried due to pernicious stigma that still surrounds the issue. In terms of stats, the World Health Organization has found that 10% of the global disease burden comes from mental and neurological disorders. However, this burden comes with certain misunderstanding and preconceptions about those who get help for themselves. To show where you can find support in Barcelona and to help in our own small way to break the stigma, we spoke to two Barcelona-based professionals whose work is intrinsically linked with maintaining good mental well-being and helping the expat community in Barcelona to get access to resources. We live in a society where it's okay to say that you've got cancer, for example, or you've got diabetes but you can't say that you're anxious or that you're having problems with a depression or that um, you have relationship issues, you know? It's as if that part of us isn't really part of us or it's something that we should like put behind and not talk about it, and it causes a lot of problems with people. Emma Ruiz is a gestalt therapist based in Barcelona who is passionate about the conversation on mental health. She has been able to channelize the process of her therapy practice using her own experiences and believes that walking along the path of self-knowledge and learning to identify and manage emotions is a great way to live the best version of yourself. Hi, I'm here with Emma Ruiz today um, and we're talking about the issue of mental health. Good morning, Isha. How are you? Good. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. So Emma, I would like to start about talking how is it that we break this stigma that people don't access therapy just when they have um, a crisis or a big problem in their life? And how is it that we can make uh, break this this sort of general notion in society? Well, by doing things like this, talking about it, yeah, getting together, talking about it, and people becoming more open about talking about what really matters to them. Anything that gives people the space to feel relaxed, and to know that it's okay to talk about them. I think it's a way to break the stigma. And people coming forward, you know, like I go to the therapist and it's really helping me, hey, you know. In my experience, I think that places like in the US where it's really normal to have a therapist, you know, I'm watching the um, Woody Allen films. <laughs> it's very normal to go to, the th to therapy. 
And it's like going to the therapist is like, uh, you know, cool, a cool thing to do. Here, it's not really seen like that. Um, people here are, are still a few steps or a few, you know, miles away from that. Um, even though it's getting better. For example, going to see a coach is better, you know, because it's, uh, it's sort of like more into, into the new wave stuff. But going to the therapist is still not um, something that people talk openly about. Um, I think it has to do with the whole idea of that what goes in the brain because you can't see it and b because there's still a lot of mystery as to what happens in the brain and the way it's been treated in the past, like people who were like different or didn't fit into society or were locked away and uh, they were like crazy and that's it. And that has a lot to do with it. And putting everybody in, in the same bucket, you know, and also thinking, in my opinion, that mental health only has to do with very bad mental illnesses. And it's not just very bad mental illnesses. It has to do with just being healthy as, as a person in whole. You know, it has to do with being balanced. How, how about we address uh, a little about what you do? Can you tell our listeners what you do and, yeah. and how, how exciting it is to actually be here? <laughs> it is very exciting. Um, I do Gestalt therapy, yeah? And Gestalt therapy is based uh, on four pillars. The first one is the here and the now. So what that means is that we work with whatever is the most pressing issue that the client brings into therapy. So we don't, we don't go into like, tell me your whole life story since you were one or whatever. Um, we work for, <clears throat> for what's, with what's happening now because we believe that the now is the only time that there is. The anxious person is always living like in the, in the future and the depressed person is kind of living in the past. So bringing your attention here to what's happening right now, how you're feeling right now, is very useful. Then the, the second pillar would be awareness, raising awareness. We help uh, the client raise awareness about what's happening, what's going on, understanding what's going on with them, and the awareness behind the awareness. So perhaps you're aware that you, are, um, you get stressed at work or you, you, you know, you're suffering from stress, so... Uh, What's behind that? What's making you stressed? You know, is it the beliefs? Is it what you're telling yourself? Um, is it the judgment about the situation? So the awareness behind the awareness. The third pillar is self-responsibility. And that means two things. First of all, stop blaming the world and, and people and everything for what's happening to you. So we are not the victims. And then the second part has to do also with control. Um, my responsibility is up to here, and the rest belongs to the other person, so I don't need to control everything, yeah? I can only be responsible for my stuff. And then the other part that I really like about um, Gestalt therapy is that we learn to see ourselves, all our bits of ourselves, all our parts of ourselves, with love and compassion even the things that supposedly are not, quote-unquote, good for us, or we don't want that stuff. 
So it's like picking up all the stuff that we've said, no, I cannot be selfish. Or look at him. Um, he's such a snob. You know, and you feel a little bit jealous because uh, you don't allow yourself to do that. So picking up all the stuff that we've decided don't belong to us or shouldn't belong to us and, um, and appreciate it with love and compassion. And from there, from acceptance, is that we can change things. Not from the fighting. Not from the dedicating a lot of energy not to wanting to be the way I am. So that would be like gestalt. It's a humanistic approach to therapy. And and how do you how do your clients often take to this? Is it always that they're 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 happy being there, or or is it that you see some sort of rebel or aversion to it, or and then how is it that you bring them back? No, sometimes they don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy to see yourself or to see ourselves. Yeah, sometimes there are parts of us that we don't like uh, seeing. It's difficult to admit certain things. No, it's easy to like try and escape. Um, and sometimes there are things that are painful. Um, but the process that you go through ends up in like in a good port, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Has a good ending. Always. Yeah, I think it always has a good ending. Getting to know yourself is always good. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that we see. So going off of what we, we were talking about earlier, I would like to address the healthcare system in Spain and specifically in the Catalonia region. What is it uh, in the healthcare policies that actually makes therapy accessible? And you would like our listeners to know that, that it's out there and just a way to get it. Well, in terms of the social security, uh, national healthcare, if uh, anybody ever has a problem, the procedure is that you go to the to your doctor, your family doctor, explain what's wrong with you or what, what you need help with, and then they will derive you to either the psychologist or the psychiatrist. And then depending on your condition, um, you will either have se- a weekly sessions with a psychiatrist, sorry, excuse with a psychologist, or bi-weekly or, you know, and the time will depend on what they assess is what you need. Uh, it doesn't work too bad, but it's more to address um, big issues like depression or schizophrenia or bipolar syndrome or um, anxiety. They, one of the things that I do know is that if you do have anxiety, many family doctors just give you a pill. That also happens, yeah. So um, that's that would be like the national society system that you can go to, and then there are some associations which are really helpful. Um, I know they work because I have a family member that has used them. For example, there's an association that's called ACFAMES, which is A C F A M E S. Um, and, th- and that association, together with another one called AFAMCA, um, they give support to people with mental illnesses and the family. They also organize activities for people who, for example, cannot work because they, they have a mental illness to make them help them become more part of the society. 
Um, there's also um, a project in Catalonia called Ubertamen, which means openly, which is a project specially designed to um, give voice to people with mental illness and to take away the stigma. Um, they do campaigns and um, talks, which is very useful. And then, um, apart from the social security, then there are private pra practitioners, of course. You know, you can find them in, for example, Estia, Estia International, Hestia with an H. And then there's um, Barcelona Nest. There's a therapy in Barcelona. There's Gestalt Therapy in Barcelona, which I'm, I'm the founder of, um, and other solo practitioners. Um, I know another one called Paseig de Gracia Psychology and Psychiatry Center. And these are usually um, associations that work with expats. How viable do you think is this healthcare system? Do you think it's as accessible as it should be? Or do you think that there's more that can be done by the government to sort of give more access to people, specifically to expats, because they've built up a very large community in Barcelona? I don't think that the social security um, can work for expats because of the language barrier. I think there's a, I don't, in my, at least in my, um, in my experience, I haven't found expats going to the social security to get treatment uh, for uh, talking therapy because of the language barrier. I think this is why there's other associations that have um, developed to help the expat society here because it is a very big one. And there are not as many therapists that can speak the language. So, so there is a lot of resource out there. It's all about getting access to it. Well, I think it's about asking for the help. You know, um, if you want to get help, the help is there. It's a, sometimes it's a question of really seeing, okay, uh, first of all, realizing that one needs help. And I always say that the first step to therapy is actually picking up the phone or Googling the whoever, or sending an email, and just taking that step of asking for support. That's the first step to therapy. So there are resources, but um, one also has to go and get them. I want to address the stigma a little more, if that's okay. Can we talk about more, um, more about how the, how, what the stigma is in, in Barcelona, if, if that's okay with you? Well, I think the stigma is, is um, everywhere, not just in Barcelona. I don't th I'm not quite sure whether the stigma is different. Um, I think people perceive mental health as um, like a scary thing. Well, not mental health, but mental illness as, to, as a scary thing. I think it has also to do with all the control. We are very much very control freaks in general. Um, and it's not something that you can just cure with a pill, even though pills, medication do help in many situations, but it's not just take a pill and you'll be okay. It's take a pill and look at yourself and see what's, where that's coming from and, and, and putting into, um, into use the tools that you are given and being proactive with whatever it is that's happening to you. 
And as I said before, lots of people think that if you go to the therapist, it's because there's something wrong with you, and that wrong is like an ugly wrong. Like if you break a leg, you go to the traumatologist, they put a cast on, and people see that the leg's broken, and it's, uh, oh, you've broken your leg. Yeah, I got to be two or three months, you know, then I got to do rehabilitation, blah, 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 and that's okay, you know? But if you're depressed, oh, my God, she's depressed. And sort of like push the person away or woo-woo thing. I, I, honestly, I don't exactly know what it is about this. I encourage everyone to go to therapy because I think it, it helps us be better people. That's what therapy does. Uh, it, it helps people be more aligned with what they think, with how they feel and how they act. You know, become more congruent with who we are. So anybody can benefit from therapy. And I think that if everybody did therapy, the world would be a different place, you know? That, I honestly believe that. But then I also know and realize that not everybody's ready to, to do that work on themselves. And not everybody's interested. You know, see, some people are just okay the way they are and they don't give a banana about other things. And that's okay too. And, and one has to, you know, respect that. But instead of so much math in school, <laughs> perhaps they should give therapy. <laughs> well, not therapy, but, you know, um, uh, emotional management techniques at school, mindfulness, yoga, these things that really help uh, the person become more aligned with who they are and, and in themselves rather than being so dependent on what other people think. Or, yeah. So I think I think we like to we like to end with this. And before we do, would you have a message for our listeners that that encourages them to break the stigma and go out and talk? Just go for it, because the the moment you open your mouth, you find somebody else that has gone to therapy or is going to therapy or is thinking about going to therapy. And we we tend to think that th this like wrong thing only happens to me. And it's not true. We are all in, on the same boat. And it's just so helpful when one can just be vulnerable. And by you being vulnerable, you're giving other people the space to be vulnerable. So don't wait. Just go for it. In addition to the conventional methods of therapy, there are resources that cater to positive mental well-being. For this, some people look to life coaching, a process of professional guidance that helps people to bring out the best in them. So hi, we're here with Goldie Uttam Chandani today here in Barcelona. She's an ACC coach and we're very, very glad to have you here today, Goldie. Thank you, Isha. It's lovely to be here. Goldie Uttam Chandani coaches teenagers and young adults here in Barcelona. She believes her work can uncover your true potential to help you lead a life that is worth celebrating. So I, I would like to begin by explaining uh what is mental health? And, and the best way to explain this is if you're concerned about eating healthily, what effects does that have on your body? Simple, you feel better, correct? You look better. 
and your your physical health improves if you eat well. So why not nourish your thoughts at the same time so you can feel mentally well? And this is it's as simple as that. So what happens is, especially when you're growing as a teenager, there's a lot of changes that A, your body is going through, biological changes, and there's almost like we call it um, work in progress. So in, uh, you know, in Spanish, uh, there's, a, there's the word obras, which means there are, there's, there's works going on on the road. And I like to tell parents especially that your child from the age of about 13 till almost early 20s even is going through these renovations, you know, both mentally and physically. And therefore, it's, it's even more paramount to be careful about what your thoughts are in your mind, what you're going to decide to do. So your, your decision-making process is, is also affected in these crucial years of growth, which is why uh, having access to a person who will A, not judge you, uh, B, give you a safe space to explain what they're thinking, or simply just say, I'm feeling confused. Now, parents can do that with their children, I think there are some ex exceptional parenting models out there. And today, more than before, we have parents who are a lot more concerned about their children. But what we also have today are both parents working. So they don't have as much time available to give to their children. And then another thing that we have today, which we did not have before, is external stimulus to uh, the child, the teenager, they have so much access to information, even regarding how they're feeling. I mean, all they have to do is click on Google, you know, top teenage problems, and they can read hordes of literature about this. But when you're overstimulated, this confuses you even more, which is why there is so much need to be in the right hands. And, you know, I'll give you one example of a client who came to me recently and said, everything you're telling me, I've already heard of. But it makes, so, it's, it makes so much sense when you put it into context and then I can understand what I should be identifying with. So yes, we have a lot of information out there and access to it, especially for teenagers. But are you accessing the right information? This can only be done through a filtering process, which is where the coach comes in and bridges that gap for you to make you understand what is going on between your mind and, what, and what's out there. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the work you do here in Spain? Yeah, so um, I, I was never a coach, obviously. I, I, I come from a corporate world. I was into marketing. And then I, I accidentally wrote a book in 2013. And as a consequence of this book, I decided to pursue um, the schools, the public schools in Barcelona with the content of my book because I felt that I was addressing topics that could be of relevance for the youth and, you know, discussable topics. So that's when I, as I said, approached uh, the Department of Education in Barcelona. And without having any expectations, I simply said to them, uh, allow me to do a series of talks. I won't charge you anything. And let's just see where this takes us. And in English, of course, because that was something that I realized that they needed as well, an English-speaking uh, person. And they said yes. And that's how I recognized the need to work with the youth more closely. So uh, after a couple of years, I decided to get coached, get certified as a coach professionally. And once I 
finished, I began uh, professionally coaching adults and young uh, youngsters. So from age 12 onwards, I can I can take clients. And and Goldie, kind of going off that, let's have you ever had a case where people have reached psychotherapy and seen it that this is not working for me. And then they come back one step and come to you and then they're like, this is what I needed. Yes, I have. Uh, I've had a specific case of a 12-year-old uh, a female uh, uh, coachee who came to me and her mother came to me and her first appearance was, oh, I've done it all. So, you know, when they say that, you want to know what have you done? And she said, I've taken her to uh, the school psychologist. I was then referred to a psychotherapist. This child had been seeing so many different mental health professionals when actually the, the problem really essentially lied in the relationship that she had with her parents. And interestingly, the person I had to coach first was the mother. And this automatically um, had a, you know, a positive effect on the system, which we call the system in the family. Uh, and essentially the girl didn't even need coaching. So I never met this child. Uh, and that was a very exceptional case where, I mean, the, you know, the mom came desperate to me and what we realized was that she needed some help initially. And, and Goldie, what is it that um, you feel is different in the expat life that is very, I mean, I know that people come from all around the world, Barcelona, is a, it's, it's almost like a mecca for expats, right? Yeah. And how is it that, that we feel they, they, can, they can get the sort of help they need, even just coaching and... Well, I think what's synonymous to any expat who's moved to Barcelona is change. So they're dealing with this additional hurdle which we call change and stepping out of your comfort zone is never easy. So, you know, my, my job essentially is to help them identify what these changes are and then what are you going to do about it? So they feel empowered once they begin a process of coaching because it just gives them that little shoulder to lean on and make their, um, transition as comfortable as possible so I think it's wonderful when somebody decides to, to get coached I, I actually congratulate all my clients on session one for coming and taking that decision because it's it's a gutsy thing to do you know because as you said initially uh, to ask for help is hard enough so when you can ask for it well that's that, that's already one hurdle you've crossed so you know I encourage everyone don't shut it down. If you need the help, get it. And no problem is uh, is silly or stupid. Everything can escalate to a bigger problem. Don't allow it. And more than um, anything else, Goldie, there is um, there's this. I want to go back to the stigma that we were talking about. It's it's so hard for people to just accept that that we need this extra sort of help, right? Yes. That we're not we're not self sufficient. Man is a social animal, and we need that kind of extra help to go a long way. How is it that that it's being promoted, and how is it that it's it's still not given that much importance and recognition as it sh as it should be and in your opinion since you're since you're not entirely in the field of mental health but you're also doing something that is so significant towards someone's emotional and mental well-being how is it that you feel that this this sort of stigma is 
still prevalent and and how is it meant to be broken so i've always thought in an ideal world uh you know when you're you're at school and you you start your school year you have to make some choices for your extracurricular activities correct and you know in 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 recent times we've had so many new activities that have come about so there's robotics um there's things like uh how to read when you're very young and how to be taught how to read now we never had these uh, exceptional activities back then so in my opinion in an ideal world if we want to break down the stigma of of having a problem a mental health problem which effectively effectively starts from very small things uh like i mentioned lack of confidence or you know not knowing how to manage your time properly and then the spirals into poor academia not having enough friends it all affects ultimately your self esteem but if there was an option in all schools to see a coach as an extracurricular activity and it doesn't need to be a coach because i'm not feeling well in my head no you can work different topics each week so uh, i've been doing talks in schools for many years and i cannot tell you the amount of um returns i get from the students themselves as well as their teachers for thanking me in giving them information which they're completely unaware of so it's almost like uh making them think out of the box and the first topic i ever gave a talk on was does everything always happen for a reason it's a very open ended question very philosophical in fact but it opened up pandora's box and this is what i'm talking about there should be uh an activity offered as a extracurricular by schools promoting your child to talk to communicate because if you don't communicate how will one know what they're going through and what they're feeling. Mhm. And and going off of that, how is it that 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 because there is this concept when you're in high school and in in middle school and even just like growing up there's always this this child in a friend group that is an extrovert and has all the friends and there's a child that's an introvert. So, how is it that that you feel that this distinction sort of is can be broken how is this barrier how how can this barrier be broken well um i mean being an introvert or or an extrovert is just one more characteristic of your of your personality uh in fact i completely disagree with the fact that one can be labeled and and that's fundamentally uh one of the things that you know i work with as well we don't work with labels in fact we work with uh perspe- perspectives rather than labels so from my perspective i may be you know right but you're also right from your perspective and i feel that this is something that uh schools and even at home you know the modeling that we do to 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 teach the values that we give to our children there must be a very strong emphasis on this so if i'm soft spoken and reserved well that's absolutely okay and it doesn't mean that i'm going to have any more friends than you or any less maybe i'm okay having two friends and you're okay having five you know so if we're trying to break down barriers i think the first thing that needs to be uh, inculcated in the kids is stop labeling people and you know uh, uh, let's be a multicultural human society rather than oh i'm black and you're brown and she's white i mean we're all different and let's just be human together 
So, but that is that is that has begun happening, Isha. I have noticed that schools are paying a lot more attention to equality, um, especially you know racial equality, um, and and I think that's something that we should be proud of in 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 many ways, and that's come a long way since the time that you know, especially I went to school. So those are things that are breaking down in in many ways, but you know the the concept of uh, mental health, yes, that that is a whole other. Um, topic that needs to still be kind of you know held by the by the neck and and just given a bit I mean ironically held by the neck but allowed to be breathed in in a in a more natural casual way if you had to give one message to our listeners what would it be to seek for help and do better I think the first thing that I will send out as a message is that you're never going to be good at everything but you will be good at that something. So when you're in trouble or you feel that it's not okay, identify that one thing that you are good at because everybody has something they're good at. And it could be as silly as I know how to make origami. Yeah. Uh, Just knowing that you do have a talent and you have something to offer to the world is your trampoline. And once you come off and start jumping on that trampoline and allowing yourself to bounce off it and take that risk out there maybe you won't be selling origami but something will happen as a consequence of it and just have that belief in yourself and then of course if you need the help ask for it so anyone who's a you know a youth especially remember you're not going to be good at everything no one is perfection is 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 not true it's it's fake but imperfection seen in a perfect way is is really the beauty, you know. So don't compare yourself to others because you have that something in yourself that nobody else has. And I think that's your essence. Look for that positive nucleus in the pit of your stomach. And that's what's going to get you out there and, you know, stand out from the rest. All right, Goli, this was, it was a pleasure talking to you and hearing from you. Uh, we hope that, that this is something that, that leaves out a positive message for our listeners and, and helps break the stigma that goes around for asking for help when, you, when it is for your mental well-being. Thank you so much, Isha. I, I was thrilled to be here and it's been a lovely conversation. Other than speaking to professionals like Emma and Goldie, there are plenty of resources accessible in the city that help people going through mental struggles. But it's clear from speaking with Emma and Goldie that if there is an issue you're dealing with, the most important thing is to take the first step and get talking. There's so much access you can get to help bring out the best in you that all you need to do is take the plunge. We let Babette have the final word. At first, it wasn't normal uh, to talk about it. And now it starts to get normal for me because I have some instances that I talk to people about it and like people reacted to it like in a very good way, like total opposite from what I was expecting. And that really helps because when people uh, react to it in a good way, you don't feel like you're an alien or something, that you're doing something that's weird. And that helps a lot. I get these feelings right now, like that I'm a little bit like not happy, but then I can 
start talking to people, to my parents, to my friends. And then all of a sudden, like the weight falls off your shoulders and it helps you really well. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks so much to Emma and Goldie for speaking with us and to Babette for sharing her story. All their details can be found along with this podcast and look out for our other articles related to mental health on the Barcelona Metropolitan website. We will be back next week with another exciting episode of Un Tayat Am where we will be speaking to British language ambassador and polyglot Alex Rawlings. But till then, thanks so much for listening. Adios. The music is inspired by Kevin McLeod and licensed by Creative Commons.